Howdy, folks. This is Pastor Justin Dean with the Sacred City Life podcast. Today, I'm here with my guest, our first guest, Dr. Pastor Alex Arguello. And uh, we are going to get into all kind of stuff today. Well, I really don't know where we're going to go. But first, uh, I wanted to just mention where we're headed as a whole for the podcast. So <clears throat> this podcast is about following Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life. So what does it look like to follow Jesus for us as a 21st century American uh, who lives in the Quad Cities, specifically for us? Um, we're going to talk about all kind of things. Nothing's really off the table. And, and today, um, I want to talk about kind of how that might affect your schedule or influence your schedule. And um, Alex here is a uh, doctor. <clears throat> you are a an elder, so a pastor here at Sacred City. You are a husband. Mm -hmm. You are a father to 15. Not quite. How many? Five children. Five. Five. Like as of today, five. Yeah, so, but so as tomorrow, far as we know. Okay, <laughs> as far as we know. Five kids. Uh, you're an athlete, so you work out a lot, right? I don't know. I'd call myself an athlete. but I, I don't either. I, I was giving you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> um, you're fitter than I, so I guess I should call you an athlete. Uh, you've got a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. What's that called? Restoring human. Restoring human. So getting humans back to being humans. Yeah. Right? As, as far as it comes to health. Yeah. So health, fitness, that kind of stuff. Um, so let's let's kind of get in. Uh, let's introduce yourself a little bit. Okay. Um, let's hear a little bit of your story. Where? How did you come to faith? How did you come to, to begin to follow Jesus? Let's just start there. Okay. Uh, grew up. And as my family were, I would say, nominal Catholics. Um, so I grew, grew up going to church every Sunday. So from a, an early age, I knew there was a God. Um, I didn't know much about that God um, or even what that meant for my life, but I knew there was a God. So, you know, just even praying and um, talking about God was normal for us. And like I said, we went to, to church on Sundays, but as soon as... Um, I was confirmed um, in the Catholic religion. Um, the, I met with the priest, and he said, hey, this is kind of the last thing that we're going to tell you to do. From here on, it's it's up to you on whether or not you want to stay committed to this faith. And as soon as I got that, I was like, okay, peace out. <laughs> um, uh, this isn't, like, I don't see how this benefits me. I don't, <clears throat> this just seems like it's boring, you know, so... I walked away from that, not really even understanding what, what that what that faith was. I just walked away from it because it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was good for me. So um, that was when I was 15, so I went through high school like that, um, went to college, and it's very similar. I, I would still say that I was a Catholic, um, like Ash Wednesday would go to a service and get the ashes and stuff like that. But I met my wa who's Emily, who's now my wife, in college, and she was um, a more committed Catholic than I was. Um, so she still went to, to services. Um, she still went to mass um, or at least some sort of a chapel that we both went to Augustana College over in Rock Island. And, um, I was okay with it because I liked her, but it still weirded me out. 
Um, like even when she first took me to her family, um, we sat down and prayed um, before we ate. Everybody went around and said what they're thankful for. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing that I've ever been a part of. So like <clears throat> your parents and your family, you didn't, I mean, you said you talked about God, but what did that look like for you? What are you talking about God? Yeah, because like, you said just praying before dinner is a little weird. So <clears throat> Yeah. Well, I mean, my family, we never really ate dinner together, um, especially at a table. We, were, we went out to eat a lot. So, um, you know, there wasn't really any sort of praying. We never really talked about, you know, just even being thankful for for anything when i when i said talked about god um i guess we we knew as children that there was a god and that he was kind of in charge of everything um and if you wanted something that's who you talk to basically <laughs> um so bigger things right you know see if i didn't want something to happen or if i really wanted something to happen that i felt like was somewhat out of my control then that's when i would pray um so yeah that's kind of what i i guess my understanding of of who god was and Okay, so basically, I mean, we're we're even talking about schedule. So when you're growing up Catholic, nominal Catholic, your schedule's not affected really at all. I mean, Ash Wednesday, Christmas, Easter, maybe. Yeah, no, I mean, we went to church on Sundays. Uh, my dad was was on the board um, for a certain amount of time um, on the parish board, so he did more stuff than we did. But I also played football starting at eight years old, and we played on Sundays. Um, which was interesting because it was through a Catholic organization. So they at least scheduled the times after most people would go to church. But, I mean, you had to, like, leave church immediately. So there were some times that I went to church with my football pants on <laughs> so that we could dart out of there right away. Um, so I just remember that, like, you know, this is just something that I got to get through so I can go do what I really want to do, and which is, which is play football. Um, so that was the, the only way it affected our schedules we went to church on on Sundays really. Um, but if there was something that either I wanted to be more important, um, for however much I could influence my parents, that would take precedence over even going to the church on the Sundays. So at, at that time, <clears throat> if you had a game that was too early or whatever, and it was, you know, during your mass time, would you skip mass and go to football or what? Or were your parents like, uh, no, no, we go to mass. No, that was never the case. Um, at least not that I can remember. Um, so, we would either find a, a different time to go um, or yeah, we would just miss it. Hmm. Yeah. And then you get to college and uh, you meet Emmeline and her faith is a little more, what would you say vibrant or a little more active in her life or what? She was just committed to it more. It was more important to her than I would say than it was to me um, for sure. More important to her, to her family. Um, so yeah, it's like back to the, the dinner thing. Why it weirded me out is because I was like, man, these people, are literally thanking God for stuff that I'd never have thought of thanking God for. So and then I'm always, for some reason, I just want to challenge things that are happening that I'm uncomfortable with. So I was just like, well, you're thanking God for it being sunny outside today. But I know, you know, a bunch of people just died this second that we're talking right now. Are you thinking, are you blaming God for, for that sort of thing? So I was just got to go both ways. So I had a bunch of just messed up. I didn't know it as theology or world worldview. But that's just kind of how I thought. So that's why I think it was, was uncomfortable for me. So I was like, man, these people are really putting a lot on God. Like it's God is, is more important to them than, than it's ever been to me. Um, so, yeah, that kind of weirded me out. But it didn't, like it wasn't attractive to me. Like I didn't say, okay, is there something to what, how these people think? And it was just always really weird. And I would say that didn't change until um, 
probably like a year, maybe two years into our marriage. Um, so we had our first son before we were married, um, which is a whole other big deal that maybe we probably won't get into today. Um, but as soon as we had our, our son, I was like, well, I, I, I want for my son the same thing that I kind of had. I want them to know that God is real. I want them to know that churches should be a part of your life. So we started going to Catholic church again. And uh, it was kind of just as weird for me, just as boring, I guess. But I at least was more mature now that I was an adult. So I tried to, to get some things from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I d- it wasn't, still didn't change my life. I guess um, my how I interacted with God, what I thought about God, how who he is and what he's done didn't really have any sort of impact on my life yet other than I'm going to go to church on Sundays now and I want the same thing for my family. Um, I guess we could jump right away to where when that did change or I could fill in the rest <coughs> of the story there. Whatever, yeah. Yeah, tell me when it changed. <coughs> it changed when I walked into a CrossFit gym one day and met – Justin Dean. Shut up. <laughs> no, no, you were going to another because when but you're jumping too far, I think, because you were going to you were already weren't you already going to an, a, a church another church? Didn't you already kind of you know yeah embrace so, your faith in a different <clears throat> way or something like yep, that? Get so more serious about your faith. That's what I meant. Like if we want to fill in some other holes there, um, I got really into health once I I uh, started chiropractic school. Went to Palmer College here in Davenport and. Um, a book, I read a book called Body by God, and it was written by a Christian man who was also a chiropractor. And he was just kind of explaining, like, if we've been given this body by God, we should honor it. We should see it as the temple of the Holy Spirit, and this is kind of how we should honor God with our body. And I thought he was really cool, and he's talking about the Bible. He's talking about God, so I'm like, well, maybe I should look into this more. Join that organization that he was a part of or that he was the founder of, um, which led me then to go visit some doctors up in Michigan that was the first time that I would say I've I heard the gospel preached. So that's when I responded, you know, altar call type mm-hmm. thing. Um, and then we came back here, talked to Emily about it. I said, hey, maybe we should start checking out some other churches other than Catholic churches. And she was okay with doing that. Really? Um, so I think she was okay because she was feeling some of the same stuff that I was. Um, but also she just kind of seen something different in me, I would say. So she's like, I, thankfully, you know, she was like, I'm going to be open to this. So we checked out some um, churches in the in the area. Um, I just just did the whole church shopping thing. So that's interesting to me because oftentimes when people come to faith in a different organization other than the church, um, what are the FCA, Young Life, yeah, you know, and nowadays it seems like every other business, especially the home marketing type businesses, are supposedly Christian. And they give altar calls and they do things like this where you can hear the gospel. Or obviously Billy Graham just passed away. Billy Graham was a huge proponent doing these crusades, doing things outside of the church in one sense. But the the question is what happens when people walk walk down the altar call or what happens when somebody actually raises their hand and says, I believe, and they sign the card, Jesus died for my sins. Most of the time, I think statistics show is these people, their their lives don't really change. They just believe that they're saved, and that's kind of like what they mean by that is, I'm not going to hell when I die. I'm going to go to heaven when I die. That's kind of taken care of. Whew, I feel better about that. But their life doesn't really change. They, Most of them don't find their way 
back to a church. Yeah. But you're saying you, you heard the gospel, you believed, and you come back and you're like, I think we need to find a church. Yeah. And I would say that wasn't necessarily because I understood the importance of being part of a church. Um, that was because, I guess, the power of community. I was part of an organization of students at Palmer that also had a similar experience to me, and they were going to a church. So I said we should probably check out the church that that they're that they were a part of, or they were at least attending on Sundays. Cool. And you don't have to say like what church that was or anything like that. <coughs> I won't. But <laughs> but uh, so what happened then? So we did that for a while. Um, you know, I, we enjoyed it, but then <laughs> this is part of how what I meant by um, it, it hadn't really changed my life yet. Like it was it was a different. So it was, I was part of a prod, I was going, attending a Protestant church now as opposed to a Catholic church, but it was still, I went there on Sundays because I seen that that was important. That's what people who believed in Jesus did. It wasn't, you know, again, who God is, what he's done and, and who I am and how that affects my life. So I would say I understood maybe that you had to put your faith in Jesus to go to heaven. Like you were just talking about not go to hell, but the whole Lordship of Christ thing. Jesus being your Lord, I didn't understand that, and I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't believing that. So I wasn't it affecting, uh, letting it affect my life. So it switched from, <clears throat> one of the biggest reasons we switched from the church we were going to to a different church is because I knew that I was coming back here to open up my practice, uh, my chiropractic practice. And I asked one of my coaches, I said, hey, what's the number one thing that you would do right now if you lived in the town that you're going to be practicing in in a year. And he said, I would find a church and build relationships. So it was more of a marketing, marketing yeah. type thing. And thankfully God used that church in much you know greater ways than, than just allowing me to, to do use it for that sort of thing. But that's, that was my motivation, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and at this time, how many kids do you've got? I had two kids at that time. Two kids. Okay. So Tatum and Creighton. Tatum and Creighton. Tatum and Creighton. And you guys are going to a church now, and and so they're going to a church, and you were have you had already started your practice? Uh, no, this was when I was still in school. Okay. <clears throat> so this was I still had about a year and a half, probably two years left at Palmer, is when all this all this kind of went down. Did Emily work while you were in school? She did. She uh, she supported you. She supported the heck out of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I wish she would have supported me more. I wouldn't have as many loans. Oh but. goodness. <laughs> Here we go. That's the truth, man. I know Palmer is not cheap. <clears throat> no, it's not. And she, uh, yes, yeah, so she was working at the hospital, um, and then she switched roles to again how what what determines the decisions you make in life. We knew that she was going to help me in my practice. We were going to do it together. So she worked for a chiropractor so she could learn basically what she was going to do. So she actually left a, a better paying job, probably even better for our family dynamics to go and be part of this office so she could learn. Gotcha. Okay. <clears throat> so then what, what happens next? Then, uh, I was part of that, that church, um, that I went to again, to just kind of build relationships with for a couple years as I was at, um, Palmer finished up. We moved to Chicago area for a year to do some business training because these guys were going to train me and then help me set up my office back here in the Quad Cities. So the church that I was a part of was an organization, a national, I guess, international organization. So I found one of those churches in the Chicago area, part of that church for um, a year, and then came back here to open up my practice. Um, 
and then we went back to the church that w- that was part of, and then I think I met you like maybe a y- six months or so, seven months that we were back. All right, <clears throat> now you can go into the <laughs> your story or whatever, whatever you were saying <clears throat> there. Yeah, so met you and um at a CrossFit gym. At a CrossFit gym, building a relationship. You were working you. me. You were working me. I was working you. Um, <laughs> similar to what he's I. He's a pastor. Yeah. This is another market I can get in. 100%. That's what I was doing. Um, so I, it was like a double whammy, right? So I went to that gym to build relationships and market myself and to hopefully get clients from the gym. And then I meet this pastor. I'm like, man, this was gold. Right? And at that time, what my theology was, I was like, I've been praying for this. This is something that God's given me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I met you. We this relationship was um, happening mainly because we see each other at the CrossFit gym and I knew you were a pastor. So I was like sharing things with you about, um, I guess where I was at with my faith and you were pretty patient with me now, knowing you now you were very patient with me (laughs) and stuff that I was telling you, but you were, you would just kind of throw some things at me that make, would make me think. Um, And then you gave me a book knowing God, my J.I. Packer, and uh, said, hey, read through this. This is a book that has radically changed my life, so if you ever want to talk about it, we can sit down and talk about it. So I didn't take you up on that offer for a while, but I read through it, and I was like, this dude doesn't make any sense to me. This guy, (laughs) I can understand about every fourth word that he's writing. Um, So we started meeting together, and of course, just going through the book, I was asking you a bunch of questions, and just really developing my theology um, and I guess really having an, an understanding of the gospel um, for the first time um, and my identity, I would say, was probably the biggest thing that I remember up front first meeting you was this whole identity thing um, and just kind of seeing, wait, I don't have to create an identity, that my identity is given th- to me by God because of what Jesus has done for me. That was uh, something that was, I guess that was, something that really changed my mind. I guess life-changing, you could describe it as, um, which made me say, okay, maybe this dude knows what he's talking about a little bit, so I'll listen a little more to him. Um, so I would say kind of to get back into the topic that we're, we're trying to talk about today is why, so what would, why my schedule would look a certain way um, was because, and this has been a slow process, is this understanding, um, I don't know if, if this is how God wants my life, wants my schedule to look like. I don't know if that's the, the best way to describe it, but looking at everything that I do, saying, number one, is it sinful? I would say it's probably the biggest thing that I, that I look at. Is it just clearly sinful and trying to, to keep those things out of your life? And that might sound simple, but um, one of the big things that you then did, since you had a better relationship, was look at my life and say, hey, this this is sinful. And I, number one, just didn't even know it, that it was sin, what I was doing, or I, d- I couldn't see it, even if I would have known, if I would have you know, been able to, to, to n- even if I knew that that particular thing was a sin, I just, it wasn't clear to me. Um, so maybe we could jump into some of those things, or, but. <coughs> well, I remember, um, I, I don't, <coughs> um, I do remember, s- when we talk about sin, sin isn't just, here's some bad things that I'm doing. 
or some arbitrarily bad things like that, you know, for some reason, God just puts these things on the naughty list. Um, I think it's Francis Spuford. I think he, he, he wrote a book and he, and I'm just, I'll, he, I won't quote him completely. And you'll see why he says sin is the human propensity to F things up. Mm-hmm. That's his line, the human propensity to F things up. And so, you know, we have different standards of sin. Some things don't bug me, but they bug God, right? Be- why? Because God says, if you continue that behavior, you're going, and I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do this, but you're going to F your life up, right? Like you're going to screw your life up. It's going to damage you. Um, it's not how God built human beings to function. It's going to hurt your relationships. So I remember that. Um, it wasn't just like bad things that you were doing. It was just things that, well, maybe it was, I can't remember all of them, but things that were, were not healthy for your wife, not healthy for your kids, not healthy for just you as, as a dude. Like you're, if your identity is in Christ, then we don't live this way. Right. 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 Yeah. So, um, I guess the, the biggest thing that, that you identified first, or at least the first one that you addressed with me was the schedule. Um, I was taught by these business um, these people that trained me in business. Uh, liter- th- this is literally the words that they said to me because I already had two kids and, of course, a wife, and I had to sign a paper that said I wouldn't have any more kids if I was going to be part of their organization. I wouldn't have any more kids in the first year of, of practice. Um, so I signed that. <coughs> didn't work out for <laughs> It didn't work. Anyway. You mean the paper didn't wasn't birth control? It wasn't. The paper didn't work, huh? It wasn't. Surprising. But that was just kind of their thinking, right? And, and that, you know, looking back on it, it was, they wanted good for me, right? If I have more kids, it's going to be more difficult, you know, to provide. Not only it's going to be more difficult to work, but also just be a good father and a good, good husband. Um, but they told me, yeah, you can't have any more kids. And then they said, you're not going to have a life outside of your office for your first year. So that was kind of my, where my mindset was coming in, you know, coming back to the Quad Cities and what I had to do. So I was working a ton. I was working, sometimes I would work 70, 75 hours a week, um, for sure, 50 hours a week I would do. I was late nights. I would, we would be at the office. Me and my wife would be at the office sometimes till 8.30 at night. Um, yeah, because when we met, she was working. That was, the other, that was another thing, right? How many kids did you have at this time? Four? Three. Three? Three kids. So you had another kid. Even though you, you, you broke the rule, you broke the rule, had a baby, and she's working, you're working, crazy hours, mm-hmm. right? Yep. All right, go on. I can't remember anything, so. <clears throat> well, yeah, so I was working, that, I mean, I was working weekends, so there was just really nothing out, like our office, my business is what drove my life. Everything was determined off of that, and I would just try to fit other things in, right? I knew I still needed to be a husband. I knew I still needed to be a father. I knew I knew it still needed to be part of a church, but it was that was all secondary to what was happening at the office. So I think you identified that, but you more so seen it as what it was doing to my wife. Um, obviously, she was away from our kids far more um, than me and her both wanted, but we just thought that this was the only way mm-hmm. that, that we could do things. Um, but then just even get a little deeper in that, um, you identified some things in me that that were hard issues, identity issues, um, that our relationship there with us both being at the office, um, it was just going to continue to make things worse. I wasn't going to be able to grow in those certain leadership um, and just 
you know, being able to even provide for, for my family, um, kind of taking ownership of that. I was relying on my wife for a lot of things. Um, yeah, that, because she was uniquely gifted in ways that you're not. And and um, and so you were letting her lead, right? You're or not lead, but you were letting her, you know, she was killing it and crushing it in areas that, that you're not very good at. Yep. But that was kind of hamstringing the rest of your life. Right. Because obviously she can't spend enough time at home and, and she's kind of frustrated, wants to be wants to be at home, wants to be a good mom, wants to work, wants to help you. And it was just it was bringing a lot of kind of frustration. And then you weren't you didn't need to grow because she could pick it up. Right. She could pick up slack. Right. <clears throat> and it also played into her sin a little bit as well. Um, she would rather just be doing tasks. She would rather, you know, see a goal and go and hit it and be productive. And that's where she kind of was receiving her identity for her whole life. That's kind of how she was, mm-hmm. um, her, has been her experience. So, you know, staying home with kids, even though she wanted to be a mom, she wanted to be with her kids. It was still, I guess, going to war with that identity. You know, it wasn't, she's not as appreciated as much as a mom and she would be as somebody who's killing it. Absolutely. Business, you know, so, Absolutely. So I would say um, we were totally blind to, to any of that. Number one, blind to how that even is sinful, but also blind that, that we were doing it. So that's why I think there's kind of two parts to, to what you identified there. You seen you at least made it aware to me that, hey, this isn't. Yeah. And at this time, you're not even going to the church yet. No. You're not even coming to Sacred City yet. So we, we are meeting weekly, going through this book. Uh, I'm kind of pressing into some issues in your life. Um, with just the goal of to, my goal is to disciple dudes. That's what, what I feel like I'm called to do. I feel like we're all called to do that, right? Make disciples who make disciples. That's what Jesus said. And so I'm just discipling you. I, I, you know, I, I know Emily a little bit, but most of my relationship is at the time. Most of my relationship was with you. We're meeting weekly. I'm coming to the office. I'm getting, I'm getting adjusted. Um, and then, and so we start pressing on these issues. And and then I, I, I think, we go out to dinner or something like that, right? Man and I and you and Emily, um, that place up on 53rd. Granite City. Granite City. Haven't been there in a couple years. Granite City. And uh, and basically, I can't even remember what happened, but we kind of shared the gospel maybe for the first time with Emily. Yeah. And I remember sitting there in Granite City, and uh, I've got a good craft beer in front of me. We had a good, we've got a good meal and we share the gospel and she just kind of loses it. She just starts bawling right there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, because we're speaking to the same stuff, guys, identity issues in her and, and the fact that her values in Christ now and not in how productive she can be at work or even how clean of a house she can have or, you know, how obedient, how obedient her children are and all these different things. And so. That was, in my mind, and maybe not, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but that was the moment where, so I'd been having a relationship with you, but that was the moment where we kind of crossed over into kind of having a relationship with Emily at the same time. Is that right? Yeah. Um, as far as you guys having a relationship with Emily, I mean, I think I would, I would take what I was, you know, we would have these conversations and then I would go back and me and Emily, of course, would talk about it. But I think until that really happened for her, it was more... You're just doing everything that this guy says type thing, you know? So she hasn't really met you. She hasn't met Amanda, really, so she doesn't have any sort of relationship. So there's no, you know, um, capital there, relational capital there for her to really believe anything that was happening. I love it. 
And then uh, somewhere along the line here, we invite you to come to missional communities. Is that what happened? Yep. Yeah. So you were starting a new one. Said, hey, would you like to come to this missional community? Because we we would be off and on small group wise with the with our previous church. Um, there would be times where we were really committed, times where we weren't. Um, so when you asked us that, I was like, yeah, definitely. We want to check it out. Um, so that took some talking into you know, Emily to make that happen. And she um, I don't know. didn't want to. I'm going to I'm gonna let Emily get mad at me because <laughs> I got to share. <clears throat> yeah, she, she, you guys end up coming, but it was still kind of like new and fresh and like an admissional community is pretty intimate, right? Yeah. So what what was you what did you guys what was your first experience? Can you remember your first experience in missional community? Like the first day we went. Yeah, first day, first few <clears> times, <throat> whatever. I mean, it was. I awkward. got a story I want to share about Emily. At you know, but I want to hear your observation from the first first few times. I don't know if I remember exactly what I felt the first time. Um, I mean, it was similar, I guess, to what I experienced with um, small group, you know, with my previous church. Um, it wasn't really until we, so we started with story form way of story of God curriculum that we go through. So I was learning a lot of it was just me. Just, hey man, I've never even thought about this stuff before. And I, of course I would ask questions and other people, I would hear other people's questions. So it wasn't really until we finished that and we got into people's stories where I, I realized that hey, this is definitely, um, this is different than what I've experienced in the past. Yeah. That's what I'm remembering. So <clears throat> somebody's sharing their story. And we are applying the truths of the gospel to this person's heart in the moment. Similar to what we've been walking through, I guess, kind of in Fight Club. And then, yeah. Emily, we did with, in, the hotel, or in, the, in the restaurant. But we're doing it now in a group. And so it's more than just, you know, me saying it. And, and, um, and I just remember <laughs> one, of the, one of the first weeks after this, like as soon as we prayed, as soon as it was over, Emily was just gone and I just couldn't I looked out my front window and I just see her like you know beelining it to the car and I look at you and, she, and you're just kind of like <laughs> you kind of like shrug and I text you the next day and you're like she's never coming back <laughs> That's, yeah. that was the she says she's never coming back yeah um and obviously she did so what what happened there <clears throat> I, I mean honestly I don't really know um course i was encouraging her to to come back i mean we i would attempt somewhat of getting at heart issues with with her um but i'm sure she just seen that as me trying to fix her which i had always done in the past um and then me praying of course that 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 uh her heart would change she would want to come back and i'm sure the missional community was praying as well for her um but yeah i mean it was kind of just i don't want to be here but something's making me continue to come back type thing i don't think there was any sort of big thing that happened that she said okay yes i know i should be here it was just being consistent with coming back and over time her heart changed and it's still changing you know um still i mean it's not like she there's some times where she's like absolutely i love this um i love missional community life but there's times where you know she would rather go back to where she used to be oh well, absolutely right like that's exactly how i feel half the time <laughs> Um, and we're going to get to that. <clears throat> so then you guys join the church, start coming on Sundays, mm -hmm. right? You're my MC for how long? I mean, a couple of years, probably. Yeah. A couple of years. Um, and then you, you, you take Porter Brook, mm -hmm. right? Uh, our leadership development, 
you have 12 more kids <laughs> since then? Nope. Two more. <laughs> Two more. Two more. So you've got, you got five kids now. You are running your office. Your wife's, t- you both have taken, is she in it right now? Porterbrook. Porterbrook. She took yeah. it last year. She's, She's in it right now. She's taking year two right now. <clears throat> She's in year two right now. You took our two-year development program um, called Porterbrook. And then um, we mo- RMC multiplies. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you you take half the group and you go start a new missional community. Mm-hmm. How long have you been doing that? Three years now. Three years. <clears throat> Dang. A long time. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'm just kind of trying to trace the arc of this kind of progression where you are coming to faith. uh, You're understanding the gospel. You are joining a missional community and that right there, like that's, that's just not a Catholic thing to do. Right. So you're, you're obviously because it's not just the Sunday morning. So now you're, you're talking about going to Sunday church um, going and gathering with the, with a group of believers and some unbelievers on a Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whatever. You're you're pursuing these relationships even outside of those times, mm-hmm. like I did with you, and we just would get coffee and and read through this book in order to make disciples. <clears throat> you are doing this leadership thing, this Porterbrook thing. So you're learning new theology. That's that takes more time. Um, you have to meet with a cohort of guys probably once a week. So that, that takes more time. Um, and, and, and then you step into MC leadership, which MC leadership, now it's not just showing up at MC and, and relying on my gifts or whatever, somebody else to do it. You have to do it. So you can't just show up. It's like a playing football, right? You can't just show up to the game and hope to play well. You got to practice. You've got to put the time in. You got to know the playbook. You've got to watch some game film. You've got to be in the weight room. <clears throat> Same thing with MC leadership. So you you've got to to read and prepare, and and we have um, MC training that you've got to go to, right, mm-hmm. to get to get equipped for that. So, what is that? I mean, can you put your finger on like what causes a guy and a family to go from like once a week church involvement, maybe twice, to like church being a key component to their whole life? Um, I mean, of course, the grace of God, you know, is for sure what's done it. But I would say just... What do you mean by that? So I don't make that decision on my own. Like, it's not my... It's not totally cognitive, right? It's not intellectual. It's not just, hey, I heard what's the right thing to do, and now I'm going to do the right thing. I mean, there's, that's a part of it, but there has to be heart change. Like the Spirit of God has to do work in your heart. And so that's... Okay, uh, let me say, so, okay, so I see what you're getting at. Francis Schaeffer said that, like, two values that Americans idolize are personal peace and affluence, Okay. Personal peace is basically my own comfort. Mm-hmm. I want everything to be as comfortable as possible. So we don't like to get in Facebook fights. We don't like to involve ourselves in other people's problems. We don't want to have friends with people who are problematic, right? Drama. We want to stay away from drama. We want personal peace. We want our homes to be peaceful. And we want, we idolize, we love affluence. So 
more money, more power, more better neighborhoods, nicer things. And if we as Americans, if that's our highest value, personal peace and affluence, we're never going to say, I want to do all these things in the church, right? I want my life to take this new shape because you're now involving yourself in the lives of others, which destroys your personal peace. They might call you with drama, right? Right. Um, and affluence, obviously if you're, you know, if you can't put the time in at the office, you're making less money. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you're saying, obviously no one can just go, Oh, I'm going to just turn this thing on. And all of a sudden just be this crazy Christian who lives this radical lifestyle that no, it was the grace of God working kind of I mean, through your mind, obviously, as you're learning Scripture and you're reading Scripture and you're understanding the Gospel, but in a way that you're not even cognizant of. It's going on in your heart behind the scenes, Yeah. right? So he's making you, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, he's, he's, leading you on, uh, he's leading you to do these things. And it's in a direction that's kind of um, at odds with, with American values. Right, it's going against the stream of American values. Yeah. Right. And um, okay, so, and and keep going for that. So there's my little ser- sermonette as I was <laughs> as I was trying to interpret what you're saying. <clears throat> yeah. No, I think I I wouldn't put the. I like the piece of where you said personal peace and affluence because that's definitely where I was at, um, and it's almost like a combination. Because you know, me and my wife being married, um, she she might get mad at us a lot for this. For this <laughs> hey, the gospel! But, I'll tell her the gospel, right? So she can I'm, offer us forgiveness. She loves us. We love her. I would say I'm 100% about personal peace. Like just comfort is like that. I would say that that would be my highest value. I don't like to be uncomfortable, um, and I feel like I've through my experiences I've I've figured out how I can be comfortable in whatever the the situation is or i can at least suppress me myself being uncomfortable so i would i mean i think both of those things i would have i would see as valuable fluency and and personal comfort but i would say i lean more towards the personal comfort or emily definitely you know had the the fluence thing so um which is brings a lot of tension between both of us, you know, <laughs> because what's comfortable for me most likely isn't going to produce affluence. <laughs> exactly. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. Um, so I was, what I was, was meant by the spirit doing work is it was through me living the way that I was and then either myself identifying it through just reading God's word or what I was studying in Porterbrook, or just even hearing somebody else's story in an MC, or somebody else just being open to you or another brother saying, hey, this is what I'm seeing in your life. This doesn't seem to be lining up with what God's word says. This doesn't seem to be lining up with the gospel. And me saying, actually admitting that, confessing that, and then, yeah, having a desire to turn from it. So, I don't, I see that as the spirit working, right? The spirit is what has produced repentance and spirit is what points us back to Christ. Spirit is what produces faith. Um, So it wasn't like, oh, I heard that's wrong. And now, you know, because I don't want to be wrong, I'm going to change my life. It was actually 
you know, something that happened in me that said, okay, yeah, I can, I can receive that. And how I know it's not true because you know this probably more than, than anybody. When I hear something that I'm not doing right and somebody does call me out on it, I don't immediately just be like, oh yeah, that's something I'm going to change. <laughs> I definitely try to defend whatever it is that somebody's telling me I am doing wrong. Um, I shouldn't say you, maybe my wife knows more about that than, than you do, but you're probably the primary person that has challenged me on things and have received my defensiveness, I guess. Wrath. Wrath. <laughs> I call it wrath. But So yeah, <clears throat> it's uh I would say that's that's what it is. So <clears throat> some things that go into that. Um if I wasn't in living life with with you, with other people, right? If I didn't allow people to come into my life, then that type of stuff would, would never happen. Right. If I wasn't reading God's word, then that type of stuff wouldn't happen. I wouldn't see, okay, this is what my life is supposed to look like. And what, what it says in here is, is, is supposed to influence my life. If I wasn't doing those things, which we would call means of grace, I would say, um, then that grace wouldn't happen, right? The spirit wouldn't be changing me. I would continue to be most likely falling into my fleshly ways, moving away from what God wants for me. So therefore, my schedule would look more like what my desires are for the peaceful or for the, what did you say? Yeah, peace uh, or... Um, personal peace. Personal peace and affluence. And fluency. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> hmm. I'm trying to think how that, in the wider culture, right, we are kind of, we've all got our phones, we've all got social media, we all... Many of us really are lonely. We, we feel like we're uber connected, right? Because technology is just everywhere and you can obviously get a like anytime you post a picture or whatever. But um, I, I remember hearing Tim Keller say something to, to Jefferson Bethke. Jefferson Bethke, Bethke said, what's one piece of advice that you'd give my generation? And he said, Tim Keller said, your generation, and this is off the top of my head, so I might mess it up. Your your generation is is the most averse to community, to making commitments, because it limits your freedom, mm-hmm. right? We, and what he's saying is our generation and the younger generation too, we want to be able to do whatever we want on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We don't want to make commitments. We even say, like I love on Facebook, you know, somebody sends you an event invite and you're like, mm, interested. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, I don't really want to commit to this thing, but maybe, and what do we, what do we mean by that is, when Monday at 6 o'clock comes along, if I don't have anything better to do, then I'll do this thing. Right. But I don't want to limit my choices, right? And community, when you commit yourself to a church or a missional community or, or any discipleship community, you're limiting your choices, right? When you start to come to Sacred City, you stop going to other churches, mm-hmm. right? And many people, they go to this church for the worship and they go to this church for the youth group and they go to youth, this church for the preaching, and they, they, they approach church in a consumeristic way, the same way we buy groceries. Yep. Right? I go to Aldi to get, well, actually, you know, I don't do any of those things. Uh, my wife, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a fool of myself, right? We go to Aldi for, for produce or whatever, and we go to, you know, hi, uh, Walmart for almost everything, and then she sends me to Hy-Vee for everything we forgot, right? That's basically how we do it. And we, many people treat the, the church the same way. So Tim Keller says, you're the generation where that's happening the most, that you are afraid to commit to any people, any discipleship community, any church, because it limits your freedom. 
And Tim Keller, he's, he's, I think he's responding on Twitter to this. He literally just says, get over your fear. And Tim Keller doesn't give those kind of imperatives very often. And what he's saying is, this, there's no other way for us, we would say, there's no other way to disciple someone. You can't do this at home with just you and your Bible, right? You just can't. You need other people to be able to see things in your life that you can't see. And then you need other people to bring things out of you that you didn't even know were there. Right. Gifts that you had that you didn't even know were there. Obviously, when you came to the church, did you have any thought of you being a, a pastor down the road? No. One of my goals when I uh, got into you know chiropractic and first started learning about like personal growth and that we should set goals down the road was I wanted to be a, a worship leader. Oh, my gosh. Couldn't sing. <laughs> couldn't play an instrument. I don't know what I was going to do, but eventually wanted to be a worship leader. Being a pastor, had, I had no. You know what? If uh, Joel's listening to this right now, he's like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe he is. I don't know. We got a cowbell for you. Exactly. <clears throat> I was going to play a harmonica growing up. Maybe yeah. I could do that. I would love to see it. All right. So, um, so we see this kind of progression with you as, <clears throat> as you're understanding what God has done for you, and you're living that out in community, your life, and I'm going to say it in, in the way Keller did, you, your, your freedom is getting limited, mm-hmm. right? Um, you, 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 your schedule is getting, is getting full. Right? Obviously, work, family, life, church, all that kind of stuff. Um, and many of us are, are afraid of that. <clears throat> um, and that's why we don't go to church very often. Uh, that's why we maybe listen to a podcast, you know, to get our spiritual life or we put in some worship music instead of actually committing to a church. But let me just throw you under the bus here. Can a, can you be a follower of Jesus and, and not be a part of a church community? No. Why not? Because he, there's plenty of scriptures where it talks about one another. Right, so there's he gives us things. He tells us this is how we should live. This is how you should serve somebody. This is how you should love somebody. This is how you should show hospitality to somebody. Um, and he's not speaking to necessarily outsiders of the church. He's talking about commun- He's talking about other church, um, the body of Christ. Right. Um, so I don't think you could even follow what Jesus tells you to do if you're not living life. If you're not in community with other people. Um, Plus, we're, I mean, we are the body of Christ, and it talks about the body has all these different parts, so we can't be the body of Christ on our own. There's, you know, there's, somebody has to be a hand, somebody has to be a thumb, somebody has to be a Yeah, <clears throat> and um, I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago, so my, uh, my niece was in a horrific sledding accident, and uh, she's 12, and um, sledding with a friend, two on one sled, they're messing around, having fun, and somehow they hit a fence. And um, she basically <clears throat> decapitated her leg, right? I guess it decapitated, amputated, sorry. Amputated her leg, except the skin didn't break on the outside. So artery damage, vessel damage, uh, muscle damage, her tibia broke in like four different places or something, right to the growth plate. And uh, my sister is... Um, she's a single mom and, uh, she's got three kids and they had a life flight, my niece to Iowa city 
Thank God for that, for the technology there. They saved her leg, mm-hmm. and uh, they've, they've kind of put her back together. But she's been in the hospital, I think it's been three weeks now, three to four weeks now, and um, she's still up in Iowa City. And I was thinking, <clears throat> as my sister was going through this, so my sister works for a guy in the church, right? And he, I probably shouldn't say this, but he said he's going to keep paying her anyways so she could be up there with, with her daughter. Um, my wife and I, we've been taking the kids, picking the kids up from school and, and things like that, bringing them around. Her missional community family has been making meals for all of her kids while she's been up there. Um, somebody from the church started a GoFundMe page that had over $8,000 the last time I looked in it. Um, people from the church have been up there visiting, been going up there, staying the night with her, um, helping her out, taking the kids, playing with the kids, doing all this kind of stuff. And I just thought like, doesn't everybody want that? Like, like we never plan for that kind of terrible thing to happen. But if you're not living in that type of community now, when the bad event happens, the people aren't there. Right. And we want that. And I was thinking like, what? What would she do if she wasn't a part of this church? If she wasn't a part of a church like this that's committed to loving one another well and really being sharing our resources with one another, making meals for one another. Like one of the things we do at this church is anytime somebody has a baby, which is like every other day, that we, we make dinners for them for two weeks. Their MC takes care of them, makes dinners for them for two weeks so they don't have to worry about that when they, when they get back in the house. That's become so so like normal for us, you know? I know you just like the dinner so much, you just keep having babies. So, you know, you're working on like, you know, every couple months. But I've been living in this community now for six, seven years. And so I can hardly even imagine what it would be outside of it. And I understand like there's a lot of barriers to getting in. Like we're afraid of giving up our freedom. We're afraid of church taking over our life. One of my good friends that I'm on mission to I was talking to her about church and she said, and, and she goes to our gym and she said, well, I want to come to the church and I'm looking forward to it. But if I don't show up, I don't want anybody to like say anything to me, yeah. you know? And basically like, that's, what is that? You know, like <clears throat> if you don't show up at the gym, you want somebody to go, Hey, where were you at the gym, man? I missed you. Right? Like that's the accountability that we have for one another. But for some reason <clears throat> we fear being obligated to things. And so we don't, we don't want to commit to things. Uh, because we, if we miss out, if we don't want anybody to say, hey, man, where were you at? Like, but if we don't make these commitments, uh, then it, down the road, when we need it, when we need community, it's, it's, it's not there. Right. Right. And that just I can't even imagine what my sister would how my sister would my whole family. How would be, we be working through this yeah. if she didn't have this type of community? Yeah. I think a lot of people in culture would hope that their immediate family would do that that sort of thing, but there's so many broken families yeah. in culture now. But also, that's a lot of weight to put on. It's too much. There's like grandparents, you know, grandparents love their grandkids for like four hours. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like here, pump them full of sugar, send them back home with mom. We love you, but then when the kid starts crying and screaming and won't go down for a nap. Grandpa's like, I've already paid my dues. I did this with you. Come get your son, right? Like you, they just don't have the patience anymore. They've been out of it for so long, out of the game, right? right? It's so funny when my mom comes over and my parents come over and my four kids are running around screaming 
and they're, you know, they're just like looking at you like, is this how you live? I'm like, ah, yes, it is how I live. Like yeah. somehow I've shut that, that side of my brain off now and I can, I can get through it. But you're right. It's just too much of a, it's too much of a weight to put on your family. And if you have broken family and friends and, and Facebook friends, man, they'll like your post. They'll pray for you. They'll say, I'm sorry. But when it comes to picking your kids up, making you dinner, they might do that once, but they're not going to, they just don't do that consistently. Right. right? They're, they're not, they're not real. They're not, I mean, I hate to say they're not real friends, but, um, it's a different level of, of friendship. Right. Let's say that. So, um, <clears throat> Jesus talks about, um, in Matthew, Matthew sixteen twenty one. he says, if anyone follows after me or anyone comes after me, he's talking about following him. You must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Right. Um, what do you think he means when he says that? Well, I've, I mean, obviously he went, he took up his cross, right? He went to the cross. Um, so he was willing to, um, there was suffering there. Obviously there was submitting there to the father's will. Um, I mean, if you look in earlier in, in the gospels, the devil's going to give him everything that he wants without having to go through that suffering. Right. So, right. So he was going to submit to, to, the devil instead of obviously his father so there's that um there's serving you know he served us through what he did with the cross and um and there's sacrifice of course he sacrificed there so that's straight out of porterbug if you didn't get that that was <laughs> the four s's <laughs> that's um, good suffering. no i don't remember it man so yeah suffering submission sacrifice and serving um i might have missed one of them but that yeah that's what i feel like i mean on a daily basis um, that's what I feel like the life of a Christian is, is supposed to be about. So I think that takes it, it takes life away from being about us to being about, okay, what is God, what's God called me to do? Um, and that's what he's, that's what he's called us to do. I mean, he's called us to, to do those four things. He's called us to take up our cross and to follow him because that's how Jesus lived. And I think, um, <clears throat> another friend that I'm discipling and he's coming to faith and, um, <clears throat> somewhere on that, you know, journey. Um, I, I was saying, man, like Christians, here's something Christians do, right? Christians lay down their life. They take up their cross and they follow. And one of the, one of the things that means is when you go to the, you know, the, the, the book of Acts and in the letters of Paul, we submit ourselves to a church. We, we, we say, these are my people and I'm with them and they're with me and, and they're sinners and I'm sinners and we're going to hurt each other, but we're going to forgive each other. We're going to walk this, this faith out together as, as a body, body of Christ, as the church. And he, he just looked at me and said, well, I just, I, I know a lot of Christians that don't do that. Yeah. You know, you just straight up like, well, that's what you're saying. But I know a lot of Christians, they say they're Christians, but they don't do that. Mm-hmm. And so that, that bring, you know, brings up the question, like, you know, what is, you know, well, you already kind of elaborated on when Jesus is saying to his disciples, come follow me. He's not just saying, he's not an altar call. Right. It's not like this intellectual ascent or even this like heartwarming worship time, right? Come get all your needs met. He says, no one can follow Jesus. No one can be a Christian. No one can be a Christian without denying themselves. And I think that to tie this back in, personal peace and affluence, mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about, right? We're denying ourselves. <clears throat> hey, we give uh, sacrifice. You know, another comment: we give sacrificially to the church, like financially. Why would we don't do that? Be cut to earn anything, 
right? right? We're not we're not doing we're doing that because we love we love God and we love Jesus and Jesus gave so much for us and so we willingly lay it down. But that goes completely against this desire that we have for affluence and, and personal peace, mm-hmm. right? And that's part of denying yourself, <clears throat> taking up your cross, and and following Jesus, right? And so <clears throat> our culture is really confused, and many people are really confused because we think we're Christians because we've prayed a prayer one time. Right. We can go to the book of Romans, and it, we, we know that anyone who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus rose from the dead, <clears throat> that that person get, can be born again. Um, and so we think because we've done that one thing, that we've somehow pulled a lever, and this lever has made us into a Christian, and then now <clears throat> that doesn't affect, excuse me, that doesn't affect or influence anything else in my life. All yeah. it did was change my eternity from hell to heaven. Right. But that just doesn't square with the life of Jesus and how he made disciples of the way or disciples of Christ, right? Like, come, follow me, take up your cross, deny yourselves. Right. Right. <clears throat> so... How do you think that would, how do you think that's reflected in our schedules? Yeah, well, I think when somebody looks at what their schedule should be like, if they're, what they're basing their life on is how can I have the most peace, personal peace, and how can I have the most affluency, then that's going to be what informs their schedule. So they're going to have things that are comfortable for them um, in that schedule probably more so than there should be and they're going to have things that are going to potentially make them affluent um so which would be most likely work you know if we're talking about financial affluence um there's probably most likely going to have some things in there that would fall under the category of denying themselves right they're going to go to church on sundays potentially they're going to have mc even they might even have a fight club Mm. you know with speaking to sacred city people but that could also be just a way of them having personal peace, right? Which I feel like I've been there at some, sometimes. Like when I'm not enjoying God, when I'm not enjoying the, what he's given me and thankful for it, I've done things just kind of out of duty. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yes, I still go to Fight Club. I still go to MC. I'm still there on Sundays, but it's there because it would be more uncomfortable for me to hear you tell me what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it would be for, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So well, and we can also we can also do that. <clears throat> I know many people they go so they live their life however they want. They they um, get married. Some of them don't. They just cohabitate. Then they make a baby, and then they realize all of a sudden, like you did in your story, this kid needs like a set of moral values. Right. This kid needs some ethics. Well, where am I going to teach? Well, Obviously, you know, where am I going to teach this at? Well, at church. So let's bring them to church. So a, a piece of being affluent is having an ethical standard. Now, not it's not universal, obviously. Right. I hate to say this, but no, I won't. I won't go there yet. <laughs> um, you can get affluent without having ethics, but generally, um, if you're a hard worker, if you're self, if you have self control, if you can be committed to things can be a man or woman of your word, um, you're going to succeed in work, right? In in your career, in the the workplace. And so one of the things that we want, we want our kids to be affluent 
that's our real desire, our kids to be affluent. And so I'm going to go to church so that my kids get this moral foundation so that they they now can be more affluent than I am. All right. And we see this play out um, with kids sports. Right. And now, hey, I'm in it right now. My son is 11 years old. Right. And he's you, in. You were asking me that. Yeah, I was kind of asking you because he just <laughs> had his birthday on February 7th and I, and I couldn't remember him for sure. Um, so he's in jujitsu. He's in soccer. And uh, and he's in wrestling. <clears throat> and for the most part, we try to only do one one sport at a time. There's a little bit of overlap. Um, jujitsu is like Monday night, Wednesday night. Right. For an, for an hour, hour and a half. <clears throat> my second, my or my oldest daughter, she's in piano, and she's joining soccer this this season right now. Piper, my my third child, she's in gymnastics, and Nora's in nothing yet. So so all yeah, so we've got all of that. The schedule's going on now for Javin. Wrestling is a sport that I you know I wrestled in college and I I really loved it. My life was kind of based around it when I, when I found it. But all almost all little kids tournaments are on Sunday, yeah. And you, it's really hard to get good at wrestling without wrestling competitively in a tournament because right. it's just mano a mano and it's just it's a brutal sport, right? It humiliates you out there, or you feel like you know king of the world. But most tournaments are on Sunday, and so we have made the choice um, to keep what we call keep the Sabbath holy. We we think. Church is for Sunday, or Sunday is for church, and our church family. And if it was a tournament started after the gathering or something, we'd we'd pre- we'd be fine with that. But to to miss the Sunday gathering to pursue his athletic career, which I think wrestling teaches him good. So there's some good things that wrestling teaches him, character mm-hmm. issues and stuff. But I personally grew up with kids that had baseball every Sunday. And these kids, I, I saw them walk walk away from the Lord in high school, you know, and and some of them have never never came back. And so there's this um, mentality that we have again. It's kind of this fluent mentality that says my kids should be able to play travel soccer and uh, travel baseball and wrestle. They should be able to do all these really good things that they're going to teach them teamwork and they're going to teach them character and they're going to teach them all these good things. Um. And, and why, why should church interfere with that, right? So you've got five. How are you navigating that? What are you think? How are you thinking through how many practices they can go to? How busy can they get, right? Because we know that that can swing the pendulum. You know, swings both directions, right? Yeah. How are, how are you guys dealing with that? Um. Well, I would say. <clears throat> this is probably the if I had to think about areas that still need that I still need to hear other perspectives and if something is sinful and change needs to happen this is probably one of them specifically with my older son Tatum um, we've kind of learned from that situation and, and have ch- changed some things with our other kids but Tatum is in travel baseball and he's he's been doing it since he's been eight years old so we started it before kind of when I was in that mindset of life was about my personal peace and life was about affluency. Um, so he, but he, since I've learned things and 
potentially it's not the best thing. We've had to make decisions on, you know, how are we going to continue doing this? Um, we have chosen to continue doing it, um, partially because I think we haven't allowed ourselves to receive any sort of this is wrong, so you need to change because we feel like it would be a big commitment to change. Because the travel baseball, travel baseball is crazy. I mean, you commit to the team a year before the season starts. <clears throat> there's money that is obviously given before the season starts. If he's not on the team, there's other kids that could have been on the team because there's tryouts and everything like that. Um, so it, it, it's not just as for us, at least it wasn't just a simple decision to say, okay, now that we've heard that this potentially is not the right thing, we're going to, we're going to cut it off. Um, and there's probably justification in, in that, in doing that. Um, too. So what we've chosen to do with Tatum is he still plays, <coughs> excuse me, travel base. You think they've realized that my voice is not normal yet? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, probably. The guy's, you know, coughing up a lung, but I'm kind of doing it too. So I, I was going to make fun of you more, but then I started getting a frog in my throat, so couldn't make fun of you. So we've chosen to, to continue doing that with Tatum. Um, what we've done in the past is we've let them know. So we've tried to communicate with him that, you know, church is important to us the sunday gather is important to us and explain to them kind of why um, it is important to us um so we always go to church on sundays regardless if he has a game or not um but we haven't had him come on sundays he would still go to the game if there's a sunday and how many games do you think he misses or how many i'm sorry how many gatherings do you think he misses because of games during that season <clears throat> i mean they have depends on the team but nine ten tournaments um, so there's potential like seven, eight during that baseball season that he would not be coming on Sundays. So that's probably the max. Sometimes they don't play on Sundays or sometimes they don't have game times. Yeah, so seven or eight a year. Seven or eight a year, yeah. So, we, I mean, we've had the conversation, okay, when he get, once he gets older, you know, and starts to be able to understand a little more um, about the what's actually happening in the sermon, we'll most likely have him come on Sundays. Um you know, when missional community, student missional community was happening, that was okay. Well, you know, this is where he's really going to be living life with people and developing relationships with people. So he's getting some from that. Um, so, yeah, we haven't necessarily, I'd say we, we're still working that out with, with Tatum. Mm -hmm. But we've decided with, with Creighton that he's not going to, he's just, because he, number one, he doesn't really like baseball yet. Um, and I think part of that is because he hasn't done it like Tatum's done. And if he did it, he would like it. And it would be difficult to get him out of it, I'm sure. Um, but he's just going to try Little League this year. So Mike is going to try Little League this year. So this is like the first time, this baseball season will be the first time where we're probably really going to see the commitment that we make um, and how difficult it's going to be. Um, so maybe we should talk to me in about three yeah. months to see what's going on. But then we got Keller who's doing, <clears throat> you know, she'll have a, she's doing ballet. So that'll be on a Saturday when she has her recital. They're all in piano. So there's recitals there and practices there. Um, so my wife takes a lot more of the weight than I do because a lot of the giving them, getting them to practices and um, the, the stuff that they have to do for that is, is when I'm at work. Um, so there's times when it's really hard. Um, that's another opportunity where we've had to press into our MC and say, hey, you know, our kids have practice. We can't get them there. Would, could somebody help out? Um, so thankfully they've been able to, to help out with some of that stuff. And um, But, yeah. We, we've made the decision that we're not going to let sports rule our life. Um, but I wouldn't say we're completely on the end of, yes, we're, 
we're staying completely away from sports um, because we're we want we're going to make sure that they're at Sunday service yeah. or Wednesday night or yeah. So it's tough. So this is a a, a difficult um, conversation that I think everybody has to work through. And I think if you start fr- with the framework, if you start from um, American values of affluence, and I should be able, my kids should be able to play whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really hard to fit the church and fit your faith into your life, into your real life. Right. Right. But if you start from my life is now hidden in Christ, in God, right? My life is now in God and in the church. And this is the, the most important thing in our life. And then squeeze in the other stuff. Right. I think you're, you're, you're better off starting from, from that framework. Right. I just meet too many people who just immediately say, Oh, I could never do that because they're thinking like an affluent American and not like, and I hate to say it, just not like a Christian. Right. Right. Um, And so like with Javin, I've even, we've said like two or three, like during wrestling season, we maybe let him go two to three, two or three Sundays. It's really tough for us, obviously, because I can't be there because I'm, I'm preaching. And so we're not, you know, we're not under the law. We don't believe that like, you know, he can, you can never miss or anything like that. Right. But we are communicating something by sending our kids to sports instead of church. And I think at the base level, we're saying, I believe sports can develop something in you that the church can't, that the gospel can't. And our kids pick up on that. And then when the kids get to high school, the kids get to college, and they've got to study, or they've got another group that they want to go to, or they just want to hang out with their friends, their their personal desires, again, trump the need and the necessity of the church. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that can work backwards and kind of um, misform or malform or whatever our kids, our kids character. Right. They're not they're not treating the church with the with the value that it's it's meant to uh, to be held with. So, well, we're we're running out of time and I wanted to get into a whole lot more practical stuff. So we're going to have we'll have to have like a part two or something coming up, uh, hopefully, when your voice doesn't sound like the devil. If we could do that, please. <clears throat> um, but uh, this is, I guess this is, a, I don't know, man. This We'll see what, what people think of this, if if this is helpful for anyone. I, I'm, we literally didn't really have a script. We just kind of hung out and talked. And hopefully maybe somebody picked up some, some good, um, some nuggets. Um, if you are out there and you're listening and you're not a part of the church, um, we would we would call you to, to join one. To, to find one, find a good, we would say gospel centered church that's teaching the gospel on a weekly basis. And it's got, um, communities that you can join and people can know you and you can know them. Um, it's the only way to follow Jesus. Um, we say around here that the only way to make disciples is in community and on the mission of Jesus. And the mission of Jesus is to make disciples. So, um, this was episode one of the sacred city life podcast with Dr. Alex, Arguello, Dr. Pastor, Bishop. Uh, we might as well just start calling you Bishop, Dr. Pastor. Uh, Bishop Alex Arguello. Um, guys, if you uh, if you like this podcast, give us a thumbs up. Like us on Facebook and uh, put some comments down below. Let us know um, your thoughts. Did we say something stupid? Uh, were we off? Did we need to think about something from a different angle? Um I'm going to have a, another uh, guest, kind of a surprise guest, on Friday night. And so there will be a bonus podcast coming out this Friday night. And we might, this guy, hey, this is just how it works. This guy's got six kids. 
Okay, so we might just pick up this conversation and just follow it up, follow it up with him. Um, but guys, we are uh, thankful for you, and thank you for your time this afternoon or wherever it is that you're watching this. Uh, be blessed, and we will talk to you next time. Adios.